All right, thank you very much. And good morning, New Hope, both on campus and watching online. I also wanna give a special shout out, good morning and hello to the Kentucky Mission Trip team. They are on their way down or some maybe have already arrived in Hazard, Kentucky, and they, they start today. They begin uh, their week of serving down there with EFCA Reach Global and uh, ministering to people there. So please be praying for them. Uh, this week is they're there and we're their sending church family, of course. So we wanna make sure that we're... Uh, we're here holding the ropes for them and just supporting them in, in that way. I also wanna mention before we jump in the word this morning that if you are here on campus and you are newer to New Hope, today is a great morning to be here because we are hosting a newcomer's mixer immediately after this service in the new south end of the campus. You can't miss it. There's a conference room there and uh, it's a chance to meet staff. It's a chance to meet with elders uh, that are here on campus and to, to meet other people that are newer to the church and uh, just to help you begin to feel connected. You stay as long as you'd like. You can stay for five minutes or the whole 30 minutes. It's up to you. And if that isn't sort of interesting enough, they have uh, cookies and there's not cookies down on this end of the building. So if you have any kind of like inkling for like, food, uh, head on down that way. We would love the chance to meet you and to just to talk and to get to know you a little bit as well. All right, if you would, please grab your Bibles. Turn to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue our Fighting for Family sermon series. And um, we are working through a number of different passages. We're culminating at the end of this series. We're culminating with the marriage conference. You saw a slide about that earlier. And uh, we're super excited to have Jeff and Shanti Feldhahn here with us. A national bestseller uh, author and speaker. And so we'll be hosting the marriage conference Friday and Saturday. And then Shanti will be on stage on Sunday with us as well. And we'll have a chance to hear from her as well on Sunday. And we've had this early bird rate. If you've been like, oh, I've been meaning to sign up. I keep forgetting. It ended in September, but it is October 1st, but it's still active today. Today's it. So if you still wanna grab your spot, please do for the uh, better rate there and secure your spot uh, before it does fill, uh, fill up. All right, with this sermon series, we are looking at different topics, trying to encourage, trying to provide some tools for, for, for marriages, for families, wherever, wherever you're at in life, whatever family looks like for you, the, the big goal is that we would, we would be people that don't fight uh, uh, with our family, but fight for our family. And as we've been going through this, this series, I don't know, you know, maybe for you, and this isn't intentional, of course, but maybe for you, as we've been hitting some of these different topics, it, it's actually been sort of hard. It's been a hard series. It's, it's sort of brought up for you, maybe, um, some past regrets or some painful moments that aren't so past that you're living through now, but they're sort of being exposed. And, and of course, that's, that's a good thing, but that can be a hard thing. That can be something that, that isn't comfortable for us to, to go through. See, while we live in this world, we know that we face different struggles, don't we? We, we know that it's, it's, it's every family and every marriage starts the journey intending for things to go well, and sometimes that doesn't happen. I'm just convinced of this, though, and thank you for hanging with us in this series if that's where you're at. I, I do think it's a good thing, no matter if, if marriage is healthy for you or not healthy, whether family is, is a blessing or a place that is hard, it is a good thing to look under the hood of your family and assess how things are going. 
It's a good thing to, to look at that and to pay attention to. It's a good thing to address the little things that maybe are little today, but if you don't deal with them today, they're gonna become the big things tomorrow. And so it's a good thing to do that. See, here's the reality, is that your family and my family, we live in a broken world. We, we live together in a, in a broken, complex world. We function that way. And every day, you and your family are influenced by the brokenness around you in the world, by the brokenness in you, and the brokenness that's in your family members that you, you live with and call family. This is, this is just the reality of what it's like for all of us. And the result is that all families, and there are no exceptions, all families experience low-grade frustrations and hassles. And some families, they're major issues. I want to show you this in Scripture real quick. I mentioned go to Matthew 5. Please be there. But look with me also at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And you can see uh, behind me as well this passage. Because this gives us a nice snapshot of what I'm talking about in terms of how we as individuals and families live in this broken world. Let's read together. It says that in all this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, and these have come so that the testing of your faith of greater worth than gold, which, uh, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Notice, and I put them in yellow here, these descriptive words, grief, trials, testing, or, or refining. And the thing is, with those words, I don't need to share you, with you a story to convince you that that's a little bit of what life is like. That all of us and every family experience these moments of, of grief and of trials and of testing. This is what it means to be human. This is what it means to function as people in a family unit. None of us and not a single family ever escapes this world and this life without going through these types of experiences. But here's the good news. See, the praise is, is that God can use the grief, the trials, and the testing. He uses all of that and more to turn the tables on them so that they're not just things to suffer through, that they become the moments and the places where God can begin to get in and to work in a special way that only he can. That he can use those types of grief, trial, and moment moments that we go through that we say, oh, why are we going through this? But those are the very things that God wants to use as transforming tools to help us both to bring glory to him, but also for your good and my good. And by good, I don't mean pleasant. I mean becoming like Jesus. That's what this is about. And that's what God is doing here with this. But the honest truth is you and I, I think we forget this too often. And so we go through our trials and our grief and our testing. And here's what we're really good at, if we're honest. We're really good in those moments of complaining, aren't we? We're really good in those moments of getting really busy so that we can stay really distracted and not deal with the stuff that's actually going on at home in our lives. Or we get really good at living angry. And when we live angry, we start to look like this guy. 
we walk around always like this. And of course, everybody else around you is on their toes, not knowing when you're gonna explode with fire out of your head. And then when we live like this, what we begin to do sometimes is that we take things that aren't personal, they're not intended to be personal, but we make them personal. So an easy example, and look, this is just from my home. I'm sure it doesn't happen in your home with kids. And that is, you know, you like watch your kid skillfully walk by a pile of dishes on the counter and just not, not bat an eye, right? Or step over dirty laundry to get to where they need to go and not just pick it up. And, and so you have these kind of moments where you see these things happen and you're like, how do they not see that? <laughs> like, pick it up. It's easy or they're supposed to. And those kind of moments, and all of a sudden we become this dude from inside out living angry, forgetting that these are the very moments that God uses, the griefs, the trials, the testing that you have either gone through, you're living in right now, or you will tomorrow or next week. Because this is what it's like to be human. These moments that God begins to use in a powerful way. And when we remember this, here's what happens. Life becomes more hope-filled because we recognize something important. If you have a bulletin, your first fill in the blank, here, here it is this morning. It's this idea that the grief trials and testings that you're going through, they're not just inconveniences, but they are, as I've mentioned, the transforming tools that God can use to change your life. So here's what we're gonna do this morning. All that's introduction just to share this morning we're gonna talk about something that impacts every single family unit, yours and mine. We're gonna talk about conflict. And we're gonna talk about how to respond in those moments of conflict that every family faces. And I'm gonna give you right now the key takeaway, the big idea that I want you to walk away with this morning, and here it is, it's this idea, your next fill in the blank, is that a godly family knows how to say, I'm sorry. Your fill in the blank does not say a godly family is perfect. They always get it right. They always say the right thing. Rather, a godly family is a family that knows how to say, I'm sorry. Because forgiveness, think of it this way. Forgiveness is like the oil in your car. You know that if you don't put oil in your car, heat, Friction, it's going to burn up. It's going to stop working. In the same way, forgiveness is the oil in your relationships. Because there's going to be heat. There's going to be friction. There's going to be those moments of grief, trials, testings, frustrations, conflicts. Those are going to happen. And the ability to say, I'm sorry, and to forgive the other person, that becomes the thing that keeps your relationship from burning up. We need this. You need this and so do I. So Matthew chapter five, hopefully you're there now in a paper version or a digital version of your Bible. And the passage we're gonna look at is just a few verses. And it's looking at Jesus. He's on the Sermon on the Mount and he's, he, he's with his disciples. And so he's talking to them about how to live as a follower of Christ. What does it look like to live in this way? And, and I wanna zero in, like I just mentioned, on a few words here that he tells them. Verse 23 through 25. Jesus says this, he says, and these are rather shocking words, that if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. And here's the key, settle matters 
quickly. So Jesus here in this teaching, he highlights, I think this is interesting, he highlights a situation in a conflict dynamic here of when you have offended someone else, which I think is interesting because that's the type of scenario that you and I are most often to forget. See, we don't forget when we're offended, right? Oh, we got that logged. I know that one. I will never forget that one. But when we offend someone else, we can justify it. We can overlook it. They had it coming. What was I supposed to do? We can sort of gloss over those moments, but Jesus hits the harder of them. He says, look, when you have offended, the thing that you might be easy to forget, when you've offended someone else and you're there worshiping me, I want you to pause your worship and go make that right. Settle matters quickly. Settle matters quickly. In other words, what Jesus is saying, if I could paraphrase this, is it is a really big deal to God when you're in conflict with someone else, when you're not reconciled in your relationships. For the Lord, he says, that that is such a big deal, such a high priority. I, I I want you to actually pause this and go. And to the best of your ability to reconcile with that person. So let me ask you this morning, How are you doing resolving conflict in your life? Do you have relationships where it is sort of unresolved, where the conflict is just lingering? You haven't spoken in years. When the holidays show up, it gets awkward because you hope your past don't cross. How are you doing in this area? How are you doing in the sense of, are you allowing the weeds of conflict and bitterness to take root? To take root in your heart? To take root in your life? Because here's the thing about weeds. They don't just go away, do they? Wouldn't that be nice? You can't just hope in time the weeds get better. They take over. They choke out anything that's healthy. They begin to consume. The only way to deal with weeds is you got to get in there and the hard work, rolling up the sleeves of getting it and digging it out at the root and getting it out of there. And that's what we see when it comes to conflict too. So this topic, this could be a whole sermon series, but today I just want to give you a couple tools. And I want to give you in these scenarios, because if this relates to you at all, I want to give you just your first step, and then we'll talk about some others after this briefly. Because your first step is the most important step. In fact, your next fill in the blank, this is so key. And this idea that a family is fixed vertically before it is ever fixed horizontally. In other words, in your relationships, when you're in conflict with someone else, if you're out of sorts here, you don't have a ton of hope in terms of resolving things when it comes to the horizontal relationships you have. Now, don't don't mishear me. There are things to talk about. There are issues that have to be worked through. There are a lot of listening and praying together and and, and working these things out. I'm not saying those aren't there, but when it comes to relationships, the first step that you and I need to take when you're in conflict with any of your relationships is you need to get before God. You need to get before him and give him your heart and give him that person and give him those situations and those scenarios. That is the first step. You need to be ensured that you have a healthy, strong, and abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. That becomes the first step. And and if you're not convinced, let me share with you why I think this is the case. 
Because when a person is walking with the Lord, what happens is they, are, they begin to, and they are rooted in truth, so they're thinking clearly about what's going on. And in addition to that, they also are spiritually empowered as they abide in him. They're spiritually empowered to deal with the conflict that's in front of them. They have a heart like Jesus. They want to live out Romans chapter 12, verse 18, which says this, that if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. See, the person walking with Jesus wants this. And to highlight, it says, as far as depends on you, it may not work this way, but you love peace. You love peace in your relationships. And this is what you pursue you long for. When a person is vertically, they're, they're set in their relationship with him, this becomes an attribute of that person. Or number two, another reason. See, when a person is walking with Jesus, what happens is, what we actually talked about last week, so I'm just gonna mention it quickly, but they learn how to love from fulfillment and not for fulfillment. And if you're not sure what I mean by that, I would encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message. See, that person is set free. They're free to be able to love and to forgive radically without worrying about reciprocation it coming back to them. It doesn't really matter because everything that they need to love other people comes from him. And this person recognizes that. Or how about for this reason, number three, our last one here, a person who's walking with Jesus, this is so important. They become eager to confess sin. They become eager to, to deal with the junk inside of them. And what happens is that they deeply understand that they have a need to say, I'm sorry. That's not weakness. It's strength. And they recognize to say those words, I'm sorry for what I've done, is so important. And because they love peace and because they love Christ and because Christ has forgiven them, they long to extend that to others. Can I just contrast this with you? Because I think this other verse highlights what goes on far too often. Just look with me on the screen behind, if you would, please. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. Look what it says here. It says that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, this describes the self-righteous person. This, this describes the person, and maybe you know someone like this, maybe you are this, but this describes the person who, for them, the problem is always everybody else. It's always what they do. And so you take it in a marriage context and you have a situation where you have the husband who thinks the problem is always his wife. Why doesn't she change? And then you have the wife and she thinks, well, the problem is always my husband. I wish he would change. Then you have both husband and wife. Both of them are locked in, unwilling to change, but angry at the other person for not changing. And they're stuck. And the weeds of conflict begin to grow in that relationship, whether they realize it or not, before it begins to choke out the life of that relationship. It happens in marriage. It happens in family all the time. Beware of the situation of the person who believes it's always somebody else's fault. Because a person who walks with Jesus is eager to confess. They're eager to do so. And let me show you this in one other verse. Look with me now, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. 
These are words of Paul, the Apostle Paul, who lived a life of a, as a follower of Jesus that was quite remarkable. But look what he says. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then here's the sort of striking extra he adds. He says, of whom I'm the worst. Paul, the apostle Paul, saying he was, at least in his day as he looked around, he says, look, of all the sinners, I'm, I'm the worst of all of them. And of course, he had a past. He did a lot of regrettable things. But I'm convinced this is not false humility. He's actually telling us something and showing us something that's very important when it comes to being a follower of Christ and what it looks like to live as a follower of him. He's sharing with us a principle. And here's the principle, your next fill in the blank, is this idea that the closer, the closer you grow to Jesus, the more aware you are of your sin. Let me just say it one more time. The closer you grow to Jesus, the more aware you are of your sin. See, here's how this works. When you live a life pursuing obedience, what happens is you begin to realize how little you actually obey. The more you get in the word, the more you realize how much you need to get in the word. The more you walk with Jesus and his light shines in your life, the more it, it begins to expose all the junk that's always been there. But for you and I, it's easy just to overlook it. This is why it is the spiritually immature person who walks around angry at everyone else's sin. And it's the spiritually mature person who walks around angry at their own sin. Are you bothered by what's inside? See, the person who is abiding in Christ, who's growing closer to him, they come to these places often daily where they recognize their need for Christ, their need for the cross. This is who they are, and this is what it looks like. See, the closer you grow to Jesus, the more aware you are of your sin. So I want to close with some action steps, with three steps, th three things for you to think about. And this is important because you and I cannot live even one day without, without acts of anger and thoughtlessness and selfishness and pride and disloyalty and self-righteousness impacting and coming out and impacting the other people in your family. Because this is what it is for us. This is who we are. Family are sinners living in close proximity to each other with their sins splashing on each other. And so we have to deal with this. We have to, we have to address this. But see, the good, and the good news is that God can use all of that to do a redemptive work. So here's my first of three questions. How are you doing in terms of being reconciled to God? How is your vertical relationship with him? If you were to look under the hood and to do an assessment of your relationship with God, what's, what's working well? What's not working well? Where are you, do you need to be reconciled? 
And remember, again, this is why Jesus came. This is the purpose for the cross. He came to deal with our sin so that we can have a restored relationship with him. And if you've never taken that step, we want to give you an opportunity this morning. When the service is over, there'll be people up here to pray with you, and they would love the chance just to interact with you, to to pray with you, to answer your questions, and to share with you more about what it means to have a relationship with him. Don't leave here without the vertical set. Because remember, things get fixed first vertically before we ever deal with them horizontally. So that's question number one. Question number two, how are you doing? As I've already asked this morning, how are you doing in your relationships with other people? Where are those places of conflict that you might have today? Where are those places where you need to make some things right? If you're here this morning and you've wronged somebody, here's what I wanna ask you to do. I wanna ask you to confess that to God, to bring that before him, and then to go and make it right with that other person today. Remember Matthew 5.25, settle matters quickly. Don't let it fester. Don't let that weed just keep taking deeper roots. So if you have wronged someone, that's your action step. But if you're here this morning and you're a person who's been wronged, I want to ask you to also to take the same first step. I want you to go before God and I want you to bring that to him. And I want you to lay it at his feet. And I want you to choose forgiveness. This doesn't mean that what they did to you doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that what they did to you didn't hurt. You're not brushing it aside. This is for you. This is for your heart. You come before him and you choose to forgive. And you probably have to do it again the next day and the next day. But you choose to forgive. And then you go to that person. And if they, if they confess and ask for forgiveness, you forgive. But you take that step. And if you're here listening to that, those words, you say, well, that's, that's too hard. Probably for, for us. But the Lord will give you all you need to take that step. In fact, your, your last fill in the blank this morning, here it is. And it's this idea that because you are forgiven, you can forgive others. See, because Jesus has done it for you, you can do it for others. Don't let this linger, don't let it fester. Christians should be the most forgiving people in the world because we have been forgiven so much and we know it. That's number two. I want to close with number three. Number three, pursue pursue the broken relationship now while you still can. Because a day will come when you can't. Because life is fleeting. Because life is precious. Because we're too good at taking for granted that there will always be another time. And because if we're honest, we just lose perspective so often. And so as we close this morning to help all of us with perspective, we're going to play a video for you. This is two ladies, Roxanne and Elaine, from the Walking with Hope small group. Walking with Hope is a, is a small group that we have comprised of widows. This is a hard series for them, isn't it? 
but they don't come from that place. They're gonna share with you a little bit about perspective. That I think for every single one of us, it doesn't matter what station of life you're in and what your family dynamics look like, we can all hear and learn from this message. Let's go ahead and hear from them now. My name is Elaine Niederhoff, and I am the leader of Walking with Hope uh, Widows Group. And uh, my short encouragement for marriages is from a widow's perspective is um, when you are having your rocky times, then um, instead of calling your mother or your friends and uh, complaining about your spouse, then instead put your phone down, go in your bedroom, and sit on your spouse's side of the bed and pray for them. But don't pray to God, please go get them and change my spouse. But instead do a prayer of, Lord, change me and my sins and my attitudes in this marriage. And then start praying for your spouse the way that you should. Then get up from your bed and walk to the closet to where your spouse's clothes are and just see empty hangers. Go in the bathroom and see that her makeup and her styling items are permanently gone. His items, permanently gone. Jesus and gives us agape love as we are his bride. So ask Jesus to help you have the agape love that you need for your spouse. Good morning, I ask for grace as I attempt to share a few insights from the other side of marriage. I'm with, I too am in the Walking With Hope Widows group with Elaine and I lost my husband Dan Johnson to cancer when he was in his early 50s. The 18 month battle was brutal. I watched him decline from a strong, fiercely independent Iowa farm boy to a man who couldn't put on his shoes. It's been six years now, and I know the Lord will use for good all the things that happen for those who love him. I try to live by the motto, don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. My daughter and I were blessed with 15 years with a godly man who was wholly devoted to us. The, pa the past few years, two simple insights have emerged that I felt an urging to share with my married friends and colleagues. The first is to cherish every moment that the Lord provides you to walk with your life partner. I can promise you one thing, no matter the circumstances, it will end entirely too soon. The second is that I had the privilege to demonstrate to my husband for 18 months how much I loved and cherished him. Prior to his illness, we were both very independent with work and hobbies that we did not share. We did have a very good marriage with little turmoil. As Dan declined, I spent every moment of every day by his side. Had I not had the opportunity to serve him and show him my devotion, I would have been le left with unspeakable and unbearable regrets that I wasn't a better wife and supportive life partner. Once it is too late, there's absolutely nothing you can do with that regret it will take you to a very dark place and will consume you. My message is simple. Please cherish and honor your spouse and live without regrets. 
That's an important message, isn't it? Sometimes we walk around and we're so angry at that person and forget that there may come a time when they're not even around for you to be angry at them anymore. And we take things that aren't big deals and we turn them into really big deals and we allow them to have a big impact and wreck a lot of things. But when we have perspective and we recognize they didn't marry you to fight with you and they're not your enemy. And there may be things to work on, but to pursue reconciliation is an important thing. See, godly families, they're not perfect families, but they're willing to say, I'm sorry. We should be, the, we should be people because of our calling and our pursuit as Christians, recognizing that we are both forgiven and we are forgiving. And so I want to give you a moment right now just before God to bring this to him. And maybe it's, maybe it's your marriage or maybe it's with a, a child that you have, adult or in your home, extended family, and just, just do some business with God and pray for them and talk to God about this situation. And then I'll close this with prayer and then we have a fun surprise as we close this morning. Let's go before the Lord right now. Father, you know all of our hearts and you know all of our circumstances, the grief and the trials and the testings that we're going through. But I pray we would not let the evil one to get any foothold in the relationships, especially with our family. Help us to have the courage to be quick to forgive, passionate to love, willing to extend grace, to overlook the offenses that frankly should be overlooked. We pray for health, in our marriages, and with our families. We entrust all this to you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, this time I'd like to invite up the kids. We get to end our morning today with a kids' concert. They've been working hard uh, getting ready for this for several months now. So let's go ahead and give a round of applause as the kids begin to come up.
was awesome. Thank you all so much. Thank you, kids. You did a wonderful job. Thank you all for staying and being here for us to sing some songs that we've been practicing and learning. Um, that last one, if you couldn't tell, was the Great Commission to go and make disciples. So what a fun way for the kids to learn what it is that God's called us to do. So hopefully they can continue to sing these songs and um, tuck them deep in their heart as they grow up as well. So thank you so much. We're going to dismiss the kids so you may find them in their classrooms. So kids, if you want to go ahead and follow your teachers back out. <laughs>